Welcome. This is Jack Clabby from Carlton Fields, and we are back with the fourth part and the final part of our series for the American Land Title Association about the California Consumer Privacy Act. Uh, we're gearing this towards the land title industry, and we want to thank uh, Alta for the opportunity to get this group of sort of uh, uh, CCPA lawyers and thinkers together to answer real questions from real ALTA members. Uh, as is usual, we have with us Liz Riley, who is a Compliance and Regulatory Counsel with Fidelity National Financial in Jacksonville, Florida. We've got Joe Swanson here with me in Tampa, Florida. He's the Practice Group Leader for Cyber and Privacy at Carlton Fields. We've got Steve Blickensdurfer, who is an attorney with Carlton Fields out of our Miami office, and he's in Miami recording. Uh, he is a CCP, CIPP, rather, and a privacy attorney. And you've got me, Jack Clabby, a former federal cyber prosecutor and a cybersecurity and privacy attorney out of the Tampa office of Carlton Fields. So our usual disclaimer, uh, this is not legal advice. We're offering this podcast for education purposes only. We don't have attorney-client privileges with our listeners, and there's a lot of nuance that we might be missing uh, even uh, with these written questions we got from the ALTA members. Liz is also here uh, on her own and does not speak on behalf of her employer, her client, Fidelity. All right, so we've got some great mailbag questions for this one. Looking forward to getting into it. Uh, just a quick review. In the first part of the podcast series, we gave an overview of the CCPA. We talked about what is a covered business under the statute. We talked about whether it might apply to you, depending on how you touch California and what role you play uh, in land title and uh, uh, residential real estate transactions. In the second part, we talked about some really important definitions under the CCPA. What is a service provider? What is a third party? And importantly, what is a sale under the CCPA, which has a definition that is a little bit different from how we might normally think of that term. In part three of the four-part series, we went over some resources that are available to you to help you determine if you need to comply with the CCPA, and if so, what you should do. We also listed and kind of talked about internal and external tools and resources, as well as some tips for practical compliance depending on where you fall as a covered business, a third, part, a third party, or a service provider. In this, the fourth and the last uh, part of the podcast series, we're really going to do a little bit more on additional practical compliance uh, with the CCPA. And then we're going to talk about what other states might be doing, uh, whether you are or are not covered by the CCPA. There are 49 other states that are uh, thinking through how they're going to approach privacy for their consumers. And it's creating this kind of um, expectation of a, of a patchwork of what might be potentially different privacy rules that we'll see over the next year to five years. And lastly, we'll do some speculating on the future of privacy legislation in those states, uh, including at the federal level. So we're really excited to wrap up the podcast series with some practical advice and some predictions. Let's get into it. All right, um, question 16 asks about data mapping and how detailed does the data mapping need to be? High level or just enough to know what it is, where it is, how it's handled and stored, all right? So how detailed does the data mapping need to be? High level or just enough to know what it is, where it is, how it's handled and stored? All right, so we can give some tips on, on data mapping. We've seen a fair number of these. And again, the people who do the data mapping at smaller organizations, it's typically an in-house team, a combination of business folks um, and IT professionals on the back end. 
uh, because it's both a looking at inputs and outputs of, of information, but then also tracking how they move through the systems. Um, if you can afford it, and you are one of these companies that is going to have a lot to do with the CP CCPA because you touch California and have a high volume, hire an outside vendor, um, preferably through counsel, to help you with this. Because this data mapping is um, it's significant, and these outside vendors have templates that can make it a lot easier uh, and, and make it more defensible if you ever are called to account for what you did to track your data. Uh, uh, there are some smaller companies that can help with this that we've worked with, and they can do it on a, on a flat or a fixed fee if you're not in a position to hire one of the larger vendors who've been doing these. Uh, even the smaller vendors have pretty good templates now where they can walk you through uh, a good exercise to track your data. And again, by, by sort of outsourcing it, you help insulate yourself from accusations that you were not sufficiently detailed in your data mapping. You know, the purpose of it is, as the questioner wrote, you know, to see you know, what you have, um, but it's also to see if you were to get a request to delete, if you were uh, to get a request to know the categories of information that are held, or if you uh, got a data portability request, could you, in fact, comply with it? Could you go through your own systems and track based on a household or based on an individual's request what data you have? And then could you deliver it in a form that's usable to the consumer? Could you evaluate whether there are exceptions to the exercise of the right to delete, for example? Right, so it's, it's two things. It's not just what the questioner sort of asked. It's, um, it's not just finding out where it is and where it came from, but also, you know, as a practical matter, could you do the things you're saying that you're going to do in your privacy notice uh, when someone starts asking you to do those things? The, the data mapping has a practical effect apart from compliance. Uh, it also helps you figure out if you're holding a bunch of data that you don't need to be hold. That you, that you don't need to hold. That is, why are you holding data in a way that's accessible to even employees if you don't need to be holding it? it why are you holding multiple copies of data uh, when only one would be sufficient, right? Um, should you be encrypting the data that you're holding uh, as opposed to keeping it in unencrypted form even within your, your systems? Um, but again, sort of the, the overall goal here is to um, see what you have and to determine whether and in what way you would respond to a consumer exercising her rights under the statute. The more you are in California and the more money you produce from California, the more detailed your mapping should be. The outcome of this thing, you know, at the low end, um, in the quicker the engagement, is sometimes just a conversation with the person doing the data mapping. Um, but as you kind of move higher up the, the time spend chain, it really, it, it, when they're done well, they're very useful documents. They're privileged documents if they're done uh, well. It shows the data flows, shows the responsible departments and the third parties, and then can be used by other parts of the organization as needed to design the sort of response systems to CCPA right exercise requests, and can also be used by your uh, security personnel to determine ways to decrease the potential attack surface for bad guys who are looking to do harm and get data from your companies. Okay, uh, the 17, uh, question 17 in our mailbag, how do I return data to my customers if they're asking for it? How do I return data to my customers if they're asking for it? Steve, what do you think here? So the proposed regulations that just 
issued a few weeks ago help a lot with this with respect to what's the process for responding to a right to know or right to have access to the particular pieces of personal information? Uh, first and foremost, it's important to realize that uh, just as it's important the business is secure in its data handling practices, it's also important that when it gives the information back to the consumer that it have reasonable security measures when transmitting the personal information to the customer. So if the customer has a secure portal through which they go online and they see their account, uh, one option would be to develop a system through that online account process to deliver the information uh, that should be delivered pursuant to the request to know back to the consumer, to give the customers their data back. Um, another way, if, if an online account isn't uh, feasible, is to uh, deliver it securely through perhaps a secure email transmission. Or, um, you know, it, it, this is where, again, we start to diverge in terms of we don't know enough yet and we're still waiting to see, but delivery through mail is an option. Uh, delivery through uh, perhaps on a thumb drive if it's offered in a secure way. Uh, again, it's going to depend on the context, the type of data, and how it's uh, reasonably stored by the by the business. This is you know look, this is one side of the CCPA that I think has not been fully thought through even after the regs. And I think you know Stephen, um, we we talk about this a lot with Liz. We've talked about this too. It's it's one where it's creating this mandate uh, to deliver information to consumers but doesn't lay out, puts all the burden and, and frankly, you know, potentially liability on the companies responding to it in good faith. You know, if a, if a customer says, give me all the data you, ha you, you have on me, and I print it out, and let's say it's the equivalent of four phone books, you know, do I, I mail that to their house? Do I FedEx that to their house? And here we are now putting in the, you know, the stream of commerce an entire several phone books worth of, of personal information. Uh, you know, I think what we're going to see here um, is a consensus around the encrypted um, digital device probably being the best way to deliver it. That is, for, for, those, cust for those consumers who don't have um, a secure account already set up with the company. You can't, you can't make them set up the secure account, um, and that makes sense. Fair, you don't want them to have to have a longer relationship with you than, than needs to be. But, it, it, you know, in the mine run case, as they say, I think for the most part we're going to be delivering this information through that customer secured account that already exists. And if they're a one-off, it's probably going to be some form of encrypted digital media. And that's another reason why you might want to use an outside vendor, because they might be able to help you with that process as well. Yeah, and I, this would be something that I think as the regs develop, it would be good to see. That there's been uh, you know, other parts of the CCPA that regs that have been the focus of the initial notice and comment, but I think how it gets delivered is something that as a practical matter, um, you know, there's answers to it, but it would be nice if the you know, if, if the AG just said what you had to do. That way it's easier for companies to quantify what it is and, and they'd be less worried about sending it, you know, again, these phone books through the mail. It's never a good reg if it requires someone to print something out and putting it put in the mail. I'm just gonna, you know, we'll just lay that out there. I don't think that's politically controversial. The, um, all right, uh, question 18. Does deleting data requested by my customer satisfy the CCPA or do I need to show proof or evidence of deletion? All right, so does deleting data, so you know, the customer, consumer, sends you a data deletion request. You've, you know, you've asked them twice because now you have to ask them. Uh, you get the, the initial piece, and then you have to get them to confirm one more time, uh, and you verified it accurately that it's them. Uh, 
now you've done it. You've gone ahead and you've deleted it. What's the, what's the next play? All right, so the answer to that uh, is you do have to report to them that, the de that you have deleted it, but there's no requirement in the rule or the, in the statute of the proposed regs uh, that you have to show them the proof that you did it. Okay, and proof that you did it is probably pretty challenging even to do, particularly for sophisticated computer systems, right? Um, what companies who are covered must do is retain a record that showed, quote, unquote, how the business responded to those request, said requests. So you got to have a record and you got to hold it for 24 months that shows how you responded to the consumer. All right, that can be in a ticket or a log form. So it doesn't really need to be too sophisticated. You know, the, the guess here is like, like all regulatory paperwork, try to decide at the outset how you're going to keep those records and then just do the same thing each time. Periodically check it against best, you know, best practices or reasonable commercial practices and then change it and syndicate to your team and to everyone who's doing it as part of your training for them uh, how it's supposed to be done. All right, so you, you do need to, when you delete the information, you do need to tell the consumer you've deleted it and you need to save a record of what you told them, but you don't need to somehow save a record of, the, of what you did. If you can do it, you probably should, um, but there's no requirement in the statute um, or in the proposed regs about that. All right, so now we're gonna switch over to, thanks, thanks Jack, uh, thanks team for talking about California. Um, I don't think I'm covered and I don't, I'm not a service provider for entities there. Um, what's going on in other states? Is this, you know, is, is CCPA going to become the standard of care for the rest of the country? All right, so question 19 tees this up. How many states currently or are expected in the next year to require data mapping of personal information as part of privacy coverage? <clears throat> All right, so it's hard to say um, exactly which of these bills that are pending require data mapping, but we can talk about what states have CCPA light or CCPA heavy um, bills that are pending or maybe likely to be passed. <clears throat> there are about a dozen states that are playing around with the idea of a CCPA, some more likely in the near term than others. Um, Nevada, am I saying that right, Steve? Nevada? I think it's Nevada. Nevada, all right. <laughs> That's what we, we say that state a lot, the, but it, <laughs> I always get it wrong the way I say it. So Nevada, uh, Nevada, is probably the closest. I mean, they have a right to opt out of the sale. That's existing right now as we sit here today. Nevada has a right to opt out of sale um, information. So if you're, if you're there or you, or you touch that state, that's worth looking into. New York has a robust cybersecurity and privacy regime for companies that are regulated by the insurance and financial services regulator in New York, okay? So that's the New York DFS. And that's been, that's been stood up for a little while now, and it's a, a pretty robust regime. And I wouldn't say it's an alternative to California's regime, but it does focus more on accountability and corporate governance than it focuses on giving consumers particular rights. Um, so California is sort of maybe an alternative or a different way of, of proceeding. And again, it, it's specific to those entities that are regulated um, by the New York DFS. So if you're a title insurance company and you are regulated or certified by the New York DFS, you're familiar with that regime um, and what it does. Um, and then there's, you know, again, there's probably 10 to 15 other states that have CCPA-like bills that were either proposed, pending, um, 
or somewhere along the, the bill becomes a law uh, passageway. Uh, Washington has one, Texas has ones. Uh, Massachusetts has a, an existing, a fairly robust cybersecurity law, um, but a, there is a CCPA clone that I think is still pending there. Hawaii uh, has a broad CCPA clone without a jurisdictional limit, uh, but again, that's pending. Uh, Maryland has one as well. North Dakota um, has been given some thought to it, although I don't know, um, you know, how much uh, that's going to impact the listeners. But, you know, it, it's hard to predict from the size of the state how much impact it'll have. We've seen before in insurance regulations when, you know, um, a state that doesn't have a lot of um, impact, uh, you know, a, a, as a percentage of the country's work in that area can just come up with a great idea and it gets accepted um, in state houses across the country. So it's possible that, what, that, that what's happening in North Dakota could be uh, transported down and sort of industry participants should still follow it. Uh, the biggest question we probably get on this is, is there going to be a federal law that's either going to preempt the CCPA or that is going to otherwise give us some color on it? And uh, I think most large industry players want it, um, but I, I don't see a sign that's going to happen anytime soon. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, the, the, the rumor is uh, that we're probably going to get a federal bill, um, maybe sooner than expected, but one that will not preempt stricter privacy laws. So to the extent the CCPA is, is a tougher law and is, is more privacy friendly, um, then it will not preempt those types of laws, which is actually pretty common with California privacy laws. Uh, they, they tend to set the standard. You'll find a federal equivalent later that most of the time doesn't preempt California standards, and that California still maintains a standard. Um, and just another note on the state stuff, uh, Florida, we, we saw a, what you mainly find here, you'll find amendments to the breach notification statutes that expand the meaning of personally identifiable information in a particular state. Uh, so, Florida has one of those type statutes, so maybe we'll see an expansion to that statute, or maybe we'll see something like California, a standalone privacy bill. Uh, that's another option. So these just take various, um, uh, they look different, right? They're different types of laws and, and how they're introduced, they all vary. The, the Nevada one you mentioned, that's actually an amendment to the Nevada online privacy law. Uh, that only three states have, including California. So it's just, it depends on the state's particular privacy regime. But from a federal standpoint, uh, I think we can expect a one federal law, but one that will not preempt state stricter uh, privacy laws. Yep. So that, for the folks listening, I don't know if that's the worst of both worlds or the best of both worlds, right? I think the hope was that a, flaw, that a federal privacy law would just resolve what the standard was for multi-state businesses. Um, so as we often conclude on topics like this, write your congressman. All, all the time. All right, question number 20. How many states require, by title or de facto, a responsible data privacy or security officer? Call that, sometimes we call that a DPO under, under sort of the um, other, uh, other regimes that we talk about. Um, you know, California doesn't really require this. Uh, I think by default, for many organizations, it's going to be the person who fields the general questions that have to sort of there's a at the end of the California privacy notice, it's essentially required that there be a way of getting in touch with the company, not to necessarily 
exercise your rights because that can go in another part of the privacy notice. But um, a way of getting in touch with the company to ask questions about their uh, their uh, their privacy uh, conduct and their privacy policies and procedures. I think it's going to be whoever the companies tend to um, tend to list for that is going to be your your accountable person. But yeah, there's not there's not a lot of general laws in each state that require it. If you are one of these companies that is regulated or licensed by the New York DFS, then yes, you know you do need to have an accountable executive. Uh, that may be the model, uh, at least from regulated industries, that has sort of worked. Uh, so the New York DFS requires a, a CISO or the equivalent of it. That could be the precursor, I think, for a DPO more readily. Um, if you're GDPR covered already, if you're a big player and you're in Europe, right, if you're GDPR covered, you know, you, you need a DPO, right? You need somebody, at least in Europe, to kind of have that function. Um, if you're covered by GLB, as many t uh, title companies are, right? The Gramm-Leach-Bliley uh, Act's uh, uh, the privacy rule and the safeguards rule. You know, it requires the designation of an employee who coordinates the information security program. Uh, you know, there were some proposals that have been kicking around about changing that to, I think, a, an exact CISO title. But either way, you've got a person who's in charge of your regime um, under GLB. It, it should probably be the same person for the CCPA, just in terms of making it easier to do. Um, but again, you know, all told, even if a state law doesn't particularly require it, it's a good idea to have one just from the perspective of information security, let alone sort of the privacy obligations and tracking them. All right, so uh, the question 21, what's the expected main focus of the new data privacy laws on the books and coming in the next year? All right, so when the, when the new laws that are out there, what are they focusing on? You know, again, I think we're seeing CCPA light, CCPA heavy, or CCPA clone models, but they're really going to focus away from notice of breach events. We've really built that out to some form of notice of use of the data plus rights being given to the consumer to access, delete, or take that data and port it somewhere else. So again, we're moving from a regime that's defined by access to, by bad guys of data and then notice to the consumers at that point to one that requires companies to think about privacy as a set of rights that are possessed by the consumers whose data they're touching. I think we're going to see in terms of trends. Uh, recall, California has long had an online privacy law. CalOPA is what it's called for short. And, and we're used to seeing online privacy notices that explain the privacy notice of the particular website, cookies and things like that. I think what we're going to see as, as the new uh, CCPA does is expand the online privacy notice that we find on websites to en encompass more than just the business's online data collection activities. It's going to include their offline data activities collection activities and their use activities. So I think we're going to see more in terms of notice about what the business is doing. And uh, depending on how active the attorney general is in saying what is and what is not sufficient notice, I, you know, it may be pretty helpful notice about what a company is collecting about a consumer. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, too, if some model laws that came through, you know, took the, the approach that Massachusetts and Graham Leach has where essentially requiring a company to write down what it does about its security practices, 
right? So that's that's the WISP, the Written Information Security Plan. That's a part separate and apart too from privacy issues necessarily. But this idea that I'm going to take a piece of paper and I'm going to write down, here's the data I have, here's how I protect it, and here's why I protect it that way, and here are the people who are sort of in charge of that data. I think that a WISP model, W-I-S-P, is something that we're going to see more of in these, um, in the in what's coming next, particularly after the CCPA, because the CCPA creates these rights, but because it was sort of the, the, the legislative history of it, it happened rather suddenly. It didn't... Um, it focused on a lot what what customers would see when they interact with a business, but not too much on what a business can or should do to protect itself internally. So I wouldn't be surprised if the next step, even in California, is something concrete like a WISP. And, and we didn't really talk about this, although it was mentioned a little bit. Um, private rights of action being caked into some of these laws. Um, the proponents of the CCPA are actually have already introduced uh, what's being uh, colloquial termed the CCPA 2.0, which includes a private right of action for enforcing all parts of the CCPA. And so, and I, I failed to mention before, but the federal privacy litig- legislation that is expected, or at least it's been recently passed around, includes a private right of action for all or part of it. So, <clears throat> including provisions that allow for individuals to enforce the terms of these new laws is something that we can expect as well. All right. Well, thanks, Steve. Um, and that rounds it out. I mean, that that was the mailbag. I think we, by answering those questions uh, over the several parts of this discussion, we were able to go from, you know, does the CCPA apply to me to if it doesn't apply to me directly as a business, but I get personal information, what am I as a service provider or as a uh, third party? And then we talked a little bit about what other states are doing and what the future of privacy and security regulation might look like in the U.S. Uh, We look forward to continuing the discussion among the panelists here and to future opportunities to talk to this audience. Thank you very much, everyone, for participating.